We'll be in John chapter 3 this morning. John chapter 3. This afternoon we'll be having a baptism. Uh, we've got two uh, people being baptized. and looking forward to that. So this afternoon service will be all uh, dedicated to baptism. We'll be preaching on baptism and uh, as well as, of course, having the, uh, the two getting baptized. And uh, we need to pray. Uh, our heater didn't work in the baptistry. So uh, let's pray we get that fixed soon. But uh, both of the kids that are being baptized are out of the room. It's going to be a shocking experience for them, needless to say. But uh, excited, excited about that as well. And uh, we are excited on Wednesday night to hear that Clyde got saved. And uh, really excited about that as well. So eventually he'll be getting baptized also. And uh, it's exciting. We, when you have, uh, in the past, we've used uh, an inflatable pool, a kid, kid's pool, and we've used a horse trough. And it's all worked. I'm excited that we actually have a real baptistry now and excited to use it and we're praying the Lord will allow us to use it consistently um, as, uh, throughout the, the time uh, here and just really excited about what we have. But when you're talking about baptism, um, to tie it all together, uh, before you talk about baptism, you have to talk about salvation. And uh, you can't talk about salvation if, if Christmas didn't happen, if the birth of Christ didn't happen. Because uh, Christ came for the purpose of providing salvation to the world. And in John 3, that is where we are. And in John 3, in the context of where we are in John 3, Nicodemus comes, he's a Pharisee, comes to Jesus uh, secretly and begins to talk with Jesus. And Jesus tells him uh, about the need to be born again. And Nicodemus goes, I don't understand how in the world... Can I, a grown man, be born again, thinking about how can I get back into my mother's womb and, and be delivered again? And of course, Christ wasn't talking about a physical rebirth, but a spiritual rebirth. And that brings us down to verse number 14. Jesus, in talking to Nicodemus, says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Today I'd like to talk about the topic of why Jesus came. The reason for Christmas, the purpose for Christ coming to the earth, being born of a virgin, uh, being raised in a lowly, humble home, and ultimately dying on the cross and being raised again from the dead. Why did Jesus come? This morning I want to look at three thoughts through this passage and some from the Old Testament as well on why Jesus came. Lord, I pray for your help this morning. I'm so excited about uh, the things that you've done for us here in the, the recent or previous weeks and days. And Lord, I'm so excited that we have two young people today uh, that are being baptized to profess their faith in you. And Lord, I'm thankful for uh, a new family joining the church today. And Lord, I'm thankful for your word and the time that we have to spend in it, to study it out, to learn from it, to understand the purpose behind so many things. 
And Lord, as we approach Christmas time, I'm so thankful that Jesus came. I'm so thankful that he was born and that he lived the life that he lived and that he died the way that he died and that he rose again victoriously over death, hell, and the grave. And Lord, today I pray as we go to the simplest of thoughts today, but the most important of thoughts today, to study why Jesus came. So help us, Lord. This is not new. But Lord, I pray that you would give us something fresh today. And I pray that you'd help me to present this clearly and correctly. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We see here in this conversation with Nicodemus, as Jesus is having, it really is a unique situation. I didn't want to take the time to look at all of it today. But you can go back and you can see Nicodemus in verse 2 uh, comes and asks uh, Jesus a question and about uh, where he comes from. Uh, art, art thou a teacher that come from God? Uh, he says, for no man uh, do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So Nicodemus understood there was something special about Jesus. Maybe he didn't fully comprehend exactly who Jesus was, but he admits to the fact you had to have at the very least come from God because of the things that you do. And that's when Jesus goes into the conversation with them in verse number 3. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Nicodemus asks the question, well, how in the world can that happen? Verse number 5, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Two births, the physical birth, uh, living flesh, and the spiritual birth, the birth into the, the family of Jesus Christ and the importance of it. He says in verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Nicodemus is like many of us, he got a little distracted, right? He says, he's, he's stuck on this thought. How in the world can I be born again? That's impossible. I'm a grown man. Uh, that, that can't happen. And so Jesus says, don't, don't get stuck on that point. He says in verse 8, it's a wonderful thought. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and, and hearest thou the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so every one that is born of the Spirit. He says, you can't see the wind, you can feel it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going, yet it still exists, it's still there. And you say the same is true here when we're talking about this and this second birth. So then he comes to verse 14 and he has the illustration, a story. Point number one today is a picture of salvation. A picture of salvation. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent... In the wilderness, even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Keep your spot in John 3, but let's turn to the Old Testament to Numbers 21. Numbers 21. It's the fourth book in the Bible, early on in the Bible. Numbers 21. And I want to look at the story that he's referencing the illustration that he has here that he's referencing in Numbers chapter 21, starting in verse number 4. This is the time of the children of Israel. All right, We're talking about those that were brought out of captivity in Egypt and were on the way to the promised land. Um, Aaron has just passed away, Moses' brother. But he says in Numbers 21, starting in verse 4, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. They didn't like the trip. They didn't like the, the journey that they were on. Verse number 5, And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, 
And they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it on a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. This is the story that Christ is telling Nicodemus about. He says, as Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness... That serpent in the wilderness is a picture of salvation. You had a, a, a number of people who were in a very, very bad situation. God sent in fiery serpents, and the fiery serpents came, and they were biting people, and as they were biting people, the people were dying. Now, understand here, they, they then came to Moses, and they said, we have sinned. They understood that the problem they were in was as a result of their sin. The punishment they were encountering was a result of their sin. The death that was happening was a result of their sin. And they came and they repented of that sin. They said, we have sinned. We have done wrong. Pray to the Lord to save us. Moses prayed and God told Moses what to do. And he said, make a serpent, put it on a pole in the middle of camp. And if anyone gets bit by the serpent... If they will just look upon the serpent that is on the pole, they will live. They'll be healed. So Moses did this, and he made the serpent out of brass, and he put it on a pole, and he put it in the middle of camp. And anyone who was bitten, they would go to, or they would be taken to where they could see, and, and all they had to do was look, look upon the serpent. The picture here is Jesus Christ being placed on, a, if I can use the word pole, a cross. And today, we still have the same um, healing if we look upon that cross. The serpent is a picture. The situation was a picture. It continues to go back to the point where you look at God from the beginning of time, and he existed before then, but the beginning of time at creation... All the way through, Christ throughout history has not only done things to help the people presently, but to show us that came in the future. When you look back at Adam and Eve and the sacrifice that was made, the, the, the lamb that had to be slain for Adam and Eve, the sacrifices throughout the Old Testament, uh, the different things that were there, the rescuing or the saving of Noah and his family on the ark, all throughout Scripture we see this. But God, when talking, Christ, when talking to Nicodemus, points back to this example, to this event that happened. And he says, just as the serpent had to be put on a pole for people to look at so that they could be saved, even so the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, he must be placed so that people can look upon him for salvation as well. A picture of salvation, a picture for them to be, to, for us to see, for, for Nicodemus to see, for everyone to see of salvation. It's given to us there. Number two, I'd like us to see a world in need of salvation. Go back to John chapter 3, a world in need of salvation. One of the most 
familiar verses in all of the world is Romans 3.16. Kids learn it at an early age. Uh, many people, not even Christians, not even regular churchgoers, they know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but shall have everlasting life. God so loved the world why does God need to love the world? Well, there's a few things in that. Number one, God created it, and he loves his creation. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, there's not a single person born that is perfect. There's not a, a, a human being that has ever lived, save Jesus Christ, that was sinless. You see, there is a, uh, a pandemic, an epidemic that has plagued all of the world and is far more deadly than any virus. It's sin. The reason why Jesus needed why God needed to love the world is because the world is not lovely. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, not a single soul on earth uh, can be good enough to get to heaven. Not a single soul on earth is perfect. Not a single soul on earth is righteous, and they never have been. And because the world is full of sin, when God looks down on the world, it says that he loved the world. And that's, I know that term is past Tense, but I guarantee that Jesus and God still love the world today. Do they love the events that go on in the world? No, but they love the creation. They love every single person. God loves you. God loves me. God loves the people we don't love. God loves the people we do love. It's a world that is in need of salvation because we are sinners. Because we have all sinned. And the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin, the payment of sin is death. You remember back in Numbers, they sinned. They, they spoke evil against God and against Moses. And God sent fiery serpents to come. And the fiery serpents would bite the people. And the people would die. The wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve were told you can, you can have everything in this garden except for this one tree, the fruit on this tree, don't touch it. The result will be death. Yet Adam and Eve took of the fruit and they ate. Did they die instantly? No. But now the punishment would be death. You see, when we sin, it's not that we die on on, on impact, but the ultimate result is death. Eternal separation from God in a place called hell. We are in need of salvation. The world is in need of salvation. No man can get salvation on his own. It is only through God, and there is a need, a great need that each of us have. Christ here talking to Nicodemus, he shows him first a picture of salvation. And through his talking of God's love, he understands and shows 
that there is a world that is in need of this salvation. The Bible says in uh, verse 15 that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life, that the counter to that is the person who does not believe, he will perish, and he will not have eternal life. Verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The world is in need of salvation. More than likely, the person that you pumped gas across from at the gas station, the last time you were at the gas station, not necessarily, but there's a good possibility that that person is in need of salvation. The person that's uh, doing your grocery checkout, unless you do self-checkout, the person that's that's doing your grocery checkout, the person that's cleaning out the, the, the grocery cart, when you walk in, says, hello, welcome to wherever you are, it's a good chance that they're in need of salvation. I would assume, and I could be wrong, but I would assume we all know someone, whether it be a relative or a friend, that is in need of salvation. Every single person, when they're born into this earth, is in need of salvation. The world is in need of salvation. That brings us to point number three the reason why he came, a gift of salvation. A gift of salvation. It says in verse 15 again, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. But God sent his Son into the world that the world, through him, Jesus, might be saved. For the world in need of salvation, God sent Jesus that the world, through him, might be saved. Yes, the Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yes, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the Bible goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift of God. In Romans 5, 8, the Bible says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The gift that God offers is salvation. A couple things about gifts. Number one, a gift is free. If you have to pay for it, it's not a gift. To receive a gift, it is free. Now, someone has to pay for that gift. But the person receiving the gift is not the one that pays for it. The person who gives the gift is the one that pays for it. It's not by my works. It's not by Christ's works. The gift is that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He was born. He went through everything that we go through. And he died. He was nailed on a cross. It was a a, a vicious death. It was a cruel, cruel death. It was one he didn't deserve. Have you ever been to a, uh, a restaurant and you bring your receipt up to the counter and uh, you, you pay uh, for your, your meal 
and they take that receipt and there's a sharp pointing stick <laughs> right there and they take the receipt and they poke it over that stick and they slide it down there. When that sharp point pierces the receipt, it tells whoever looks at that receipt it's been paid for. The price that was due has now been paid for. Christ was pierced on the cross. The Bible tells us he was nailed in his hands, his wrists, and his feet were nailed to the cross. And that piercing of Jesus Christ paid for my sins. Paid what was due for my sins. And paid what was due for your sins. Christ hung on the cross and he died. And three days later, we praise the Lord, he rose again. For a dead God is not a God. But a living one is. Jesus Christ raised from the dead three days later, and that is what is being offered now of salvation. The Bible says in Romans 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says in verse 15 of John 3, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. And verse 16, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life life there's a gift and it's being offered but you know what you don't get the gift until you receive it there are people all across the world today that understand that Jesus Christ is God there are people all across the world today that understand that Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose again three days later there are people all across the world today who have heard that story, and many who have not, but who have heard that story, yet they've never received the gift of eternal life. You say, well, how do I receive that gift? Well, it's pretty simple. We're close to Christmas, so we'll use that as the example. In order to receive the gift at Christmas, you have to take the gift, you have to open up the gift, receive the gift. All you have to do is reach out and grab it. Reach out and take it. You see, Jesus Christ, it says in, in, in verse 16 that God loved the world, that he gave his son for the world. Then in verse 17, he says that the world through him might be saved. There is only one way, Jesus Christ tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way to heaven. Someone who tells you there's uh, to get to heaven, you have to accept Jesus, you have to receive Jesus, and you have to do this. Someone who tells you you have to receive Jesus and you have to pray this prayer. People who tell you you have to receive Jesus and you have to. If anyone says and, they're wrong. The Bible says Jesus is the only way. There is no magic prayer. There is no... Uh, um, certain thing you have to do so many times. It's through Jesus and through Jesus Christ alone. The young people who are being baptized this afternoon, they have shared their testimony of salvation, of their receiving the gift. It's not that you have to receive Jesus Christ and be baptized. We'll talk about that this afternoon, but 
baptism isn't a part of salvation, it's a result of salvation. It's the, a step of obedience because of salvation. I, I go to church and I learn about God not to be saved, but because I'm saved. I love my neighbor not because I want to get saved, because that's what I do because I'm saved. It's a gift that has to be received. How do I receive it? I, I just take it. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that God hath raised you from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There's a lot of arguing about terminology when it comes to salvation, but if I may just simplify it. God says, do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins? Do you believe that Jesus Christ paid for your sins? Do you want Jesus Christ to save you? Do you believe that Jesus can save you? Receive him. Just receive him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, to pay the penalty for my sins, because someone had to pay it. God, I'm calling on you to save me. Uh, in the, the world that I grew up in, the church world that I grew up in, there's a thing called the sinner's prayer, and it's never meant to be a magic prayer, but it was just a simple prayer that um, someone who'd never prayed before tried to explain how you pray, and, and a lot of people would say, okay, I want you to, uh, I'm, once they said, I want to be saved, they would say, okay, pray after me, and they would pray a line, and have the person pray a line, and then they'd pray another line, have the person pray another line, and, and that's fine. It's a teaching moment. But, but for me, when, when someone desires to be saved, I, I always ask them, I said, I want you to pray. I'll pray first. And when I'm done praying, I want you to pray. And prayer is talking. It's, it's a conversation with God. Nothing to be nervous about. It's, it's just a, it's a calling on, on Jesus. And I will explain, you know, um, you know, here's some things you, you can say. This is kind of the point of it or whatever. But, but I just want you to share, to pray in your own words. And I ask them to pray out loud. You don't have to. It's not something that's required. Uh, uh, people argue, well, the Bible says in, in, in Romans uh, 10, verse 9, that if you confess with thy mouth, so it has to be an audible prayer. Listen, God can hear your prayers. But I always ask people, I would like you to pray and, and just ask the Lord what you will. And ask the Lord to save you. And I'll open with a prayer. And what I will always pray is for, the God, for God to bless the person, to help the person, to teach and grow the person, things like that. I don't pray for them to be saved. That's all on them, not on me. I can't pray for someone else to be saved and get salvation for them. It's something they have to receive for themselves. So I'll pray a prayer, and in large part, just to be an example of how to pray. And I'll pray a prayer and I'll say something like, Lord, we thank you that this person has come, desires to be saved. And God, I pray that you'd help them now as they call on you for salvation and, and bless them and help, uh, help me to be a help to them. Lord, thank you so much for, for bringing them to the point of salvation. And I'll say amen. And I say, okay, go ahead. And they'll pray. And, and oftentimes it's a very broken prayer. It's, a, you know, it's that trying to figure out what am I supposed to say? How am I supposed to say it? Those kinds of things. But there's nothing sweeter than listening as someone opens himself up to God 
and calls on the Lord to save them and receives the gift of salvation. Sometimes we make a big deal out of salvation, and, and it's, it is a big deal. Don't get me wrong. I don't mean it that way. But it's simple. The Bible talks about um, uh, coming to God as a child. You know, a child doesn't overthink things. Some of them overthink them more than others, but, but overall, a child doesn't overthink things. It's all pretty simple. It's all pretty basic. And some people argue, well, you're making salvation too simple. No, I'm just making it biblical. God lays it out for us very clearly. As a matter of fact, in talking to Nicodemus, he lays it out pretty simply. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I was always taught, and I'm thankful for those that taught me this, but we talk about a camp. We have an invitation, and kids come to the front, and they meet with a counselor, and they pray uh, over anything. Whatever the sermon was on, whatever God convicted them of, they came forward, and they pray with someone about that, get some biblical help on it. And I was always taught that someone who comes forward for salvation, they're more than likely saved the moment they stepped out of the pew. Because in their heart, they already believed. They'd already placed that dependence. It's great to, to meet with someone and, and have someone show you from the Bible clearly so that you have that assurance and that knowledge of it. You have someone else that can hold you accountable and, and help you with different things. But, but it's that moment of belief, that, that moment that I make the decision, Lord, I need you to save me. God, I want you to save me. God, I received your gift. Why did Jesus come? So that we could have pretty lights and poinsettias and Christmas presents? No. Listen, I have no problem with any of those things. As a matter of fact, I'll receive any gift you give to me. But uh, I like beef jerky and gummy worms and, um, and money. But, uh, um, you know, giving gifts, honestly, and I know people will argue with me, and that's fine, and I don't mean to get off on a rabbit trail today, but, you know, the wise men, wasn't at Christ's birth, but the wise men gave gifts to Jesus. I believe we can love people, show them love by giving them gifts. I've got no problem with, with exchanging gifts at Christmas time, but you know what? It's not about that. It's about the ultimate gift. It's about Jesus Christ who was sent by God to come to this earth and, and be a gift to us. I've talked about this before, but you hear people talk about God's children. We're all God's children, they say. No. No, we're not. But you can be if you receive the gift. The gift of salvation. We see here in John 3 a picture of salvation through uh, the illustration used for us of the event that happened in Numbers 21 with the serpent being raised up and they had to look upon it to be saved. We see a world in need of salvation. The whole reason why God sent his son Jesus is because there was a need I hope that we're burdened about that need. I hope that we realize that need still exists. So what can we do? We can provide or offer the gift that God has already given, the gift of salvation for the world in need of it. This morning, in a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm done praying. We'll do as we always do. We'll have a, 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 the piano play, and we'll open up the invitation. This morning, if you would say, I've never received that gift, but I would like to, I'm going to give you two options. Number one, you can stay where you are and you can 
receive the gift of salvation right where you are. At the end of the invitation, I'm going to ask if anybody did that. The other option is if you say, well, you know, I'd like to receive the gift, but I still have some questions. I'm going to come down to the front. I'm going to give you an opportunity, if you'd like to, to come to the front. Take my hand. Say, Pastor, I'd, I'd like to know a little bit more about it. And if you're a man, I'll, I'll talk with you. If you're a woman, I'll have my wife talk with you and show you from the Bible how you can know for sure that you're saved, that you've received the gift of salvation. There's no better day than today. Honestly, we're not promised tomorrow. I don't say that to scare you. That's not my point. I'm just telling you there's no better day than today than to receive the gift that God's offering you freely. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for letting us come today. I thank you for your word. Lord, I'm thankful that you came to this earth and became flesh for us. God, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And God, today we have the opportunity, if we've not yet received the gift, to receive the gift of salvation. And God, I pray that for those that have already received the gift of salvation, I pray that you would burden our hearts for the world that needs you. And maybe today, Lord, you lay on our hearts a name, a person, two people, a few people that we know is in need of salvation. Lord, that you'd lay on our hearts and give us the boldness and the strength that we need to present that gift to those people. So God, burden us for the world that needs salvation. And God, if we have someone in the room today that's not saved, Lord, today, give them the strength and the boldness to receive that gift today, I pray in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to stay seated today. If you've not yet received the gift of salvation, I pray that today that you will. And like I said, you can do it right where you're sitting. But if you have a question and you would like someone to share it with you, why don't you go ahead and come forward. You can always talk to me afterwards as well that's fine but I encourage you don't wait today get it settled and then secondly if you have someone in your life someone that you know of someone that God has put on your heart today that you know boy they need salvation and I'm the one that needs to offer it to share with them this gift that God gave me this gift that is available to them would you pray today for those people number one that those people would listen and receive. Number two, would you pray for yourself that God would give you the strength, the boldness, the faith to go forward and do what's necessary.
heads bowed and our eyes closed still, I want to ask this question. Is there anybody today that would say, uh, Preacher, I came in this morning and I, I hadn't received the gift, but as of now, I know that I have received the gift. And this morning, I asked the Lord to save me. Anybody like that today? All right, wonderful. Would you look this way? Uh, thank you for your good attention today. I, I don't like doing baptism without making sure everyone has a clear understanding of salvation. Uh, it's the first step. It's the most crucial step in importance as well. So thank you for, for your good attention this morning. And I do pray that if God puts someone on your heart to share the gospel with, that you do it. And uh, it's a great time of year. It's an easy time to get into a conversation about Jesus at Christmas time. Um, because whether they are Christians or not, um, uh, everybody watches Charlie Brown. So everybody knows about Jesus. And it's an opportunity. It's a wide open door to talk about Jesus and the gospel this time of year. Take the opportunity and ask God for help with it. I'm going to ask John and Julie to come uh, forward, please. And uh, we're excited. John and Julie um, have uh, asked to join the church, and um, we got a chance to get to know them a little bit over the last several weeks. They both shared with me their testimony of salvation and baptism, and uh, we're excited to accept John and Julie into our church as uh, the newest members, the first new members in the new building. We have a day of first today. And uh, so we're excited to have them join us. Um, all in favor of John and Julie joining the church, say aye. aye. Anybody opposed? All right, good. Uh, <laughs> very good. Uh, we're going to say a word of prayer in closing and pray for John and Julie as they join the church today. And uh, pray that uh, uh, the Lord would use them to be a, a special part of our church and that our church would be a special uh, part for them as well. Lord, we thank you so much for your many blessings. God, we start with salvation and Lord, we go on to so many other things, but today we are thankful that John and Julie have uh, come to join the church, and God, we pray that you would help me as the pastor, that I would be the right pastor for them, and Lord, I pray that you'd help John and Julie as they um, dive in and get involved in the church, Lord, that you'd use them to be a blessing and, and a unique piece to this church, uh, Lord, as we all have different roles in different, our different parts of the church to, to make up a full church, Lord, I pray that you'd use them to fill in uh, uh, needs for us. And God, that you'd grow our hearts together, um, and Lord, that you'd use um, uh, us in a special way to work together to accomplish your will for this church. And Lord, we praise you uh, for adding today to our church. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, John and Julie. We'll go ahead and be dismissed uh, for lunch. We'll be back at 1 o'clock for a special baptism service. I hope that you can be back with us uh, for that. Lord bless you. Let's go ahead and be dismissed. Thanks, guys. Thank <laughs> you.